0: But I always say that I kind of work with the everyday athlete, which are people that run marathons or do triathlons, but don't do it competitively. And I think those people are still struggling in terms of how sports nutrition is different than regular nutrition, which I actually just wrote a cookbook. You ever have so many questions and no one to ask, so they're just wasting away on Google searches you'll forget about in an hour or so. We had that same problem, and that's why we created the rd 2 be podcast, a resource for dietetic and nutrition students looking for answers that their peers don't have.
1: We have students Macy and Emily and registered dietitian Carl Barnes. We engage in conversations and learn from RDs. Join us weekly as we gain insight into the unique journeys of registered dietitians all over the country. Welcome back to another week of the RD2B podcast. I'm your registered dietitian host, Carl Barnes. This is our weekly podcast where we sit down with a different, awesome registered dietitian to showcase the diversity of opportunity in the profession and really dismantle the notion that there's a traditional career path to becoming a registered dietitian. Always excited to welcome a different guest and learn about their background. Um, this week, we're sitting down with Natalie Rizzo. She's the founder of Greenleats. I'm very excited to learn more about all the things that you do and have done. Um, Thanks so much for for being here with us.
0: Thank you for having me. And I'm Jenna, your
1: RD-to-be. And so, Natalie, could you give us a little uh, background into what made you decide to become a registered
0: dietitian? Sure. I actually changed careers to become a dietitian. Uh, I used to work in ad sales. I... I feel like I have to back up to when I went to college, which was like a long time ago now, but I went to college not knowing what I wanted to do, so I just had a liberal arts degree, and about junior year they said pick a major, and I still didn't know what I wanted to do, so at the time I really liked to read and write and i was taking history classes and i really enjoyed them so i decided to be a history major and everyone would ask me do you want to be a teacher and i said no i don't want to be a teacher (laughs) so i lived in new york i wanted to work in new york city when i graduated it was kind of like all right i have this bachelor of arts what do i do and i ended up working in ad sales for major tv networks i worked for nickelodeon i worked for abc and it was really cool fun job for a kid who's 22 23 but at about five years in, I was like, I got to figure out something else because this is not it for me. And I really enjoyed cooking and eating and fitness and all of this stuff and really enjoyed kind of having to make recipes and figure out how to make them healthier. And I looked into what it would be, take to become a dietitian, which actually takes a lot more than most people think. I had no science background so i was only 25 26 and i went back to school and i did the whole thing basically from scratch i was doing uh non-degree classes which are the undergrad where you're not working towards a degree the prerequisite classes and then eventually did well enough to get into a master's program and became went through the whole thing and became a dietitian so that's a long-winded version of my career path Awesome.
1: And so your background experience in, you know, digital media, sales, marketing, that part, did that have any influence or kind of help you towards what you did as an RD eventually?
0: Yes, I think it definitely did. Although I didn't know that going in, I thought that one of the reasons I chose nutrition, obviously I really liked the field. It was basically taking my hobby and turning it into a career, but I also wanted to work for myself. My dad was a business owner and I kind of saw the flexibility that that gives you and thinking later on down the line, when I have kids, I want to be able to like make my own schedule. I really hated the nine to five thing where you have to be there at a certain time or you have to wear a certain thing. So I wanted to work for myself. So that was part of why I did this. Um, But the background I had in uh, ad sales, I didn't really think was going to be anything for me. Uh, I thought I'd work in private practice and see clients. And then as I got into my career as a dietitian, I kind of noticed that I knew how to write well, and I knew how to do marketing and things like that, that a lot of dietitians don't know how to do. So I kind of took those skills and morphed it into a different business that isn't really private practice driven. It's more so media and writing driven.
1: Awesome. So just combining, you know, two of those parts of your life into one thing that is your own. And so we have a lot of RD2Bs that kind of, you know, our second career, they kind of don't know how to establish their nutrition education as an RD2B to kind of make them stand out on diecast, stand out on dietetic internships, and make them be like, I am just as credible as someone who did the traditional four-year DPD program. And so when you were in your, not in your undergrad, but when you were doing your graduate degree program and going into DICAS, what did you do when you decided you wanna become a registered dietitian that kind of gave you that foundational experience that you were going into nutrition?
0: I started volunteering from the get-go. I think I was volunteering before I even got into the master's because I was really nervous that I wasn't even going to get into a program. I'm like, I have no science background. Science is not my strong suit, which is funny that I have a master's of science, but it's, it really wasn't. I just knew that I was a good student, but organic chem like took me out. So I started volunteering from the get-go. And then I've also been really good with quote unquote networking, because I, I think networking is kind of like a dirty word where people think it's not, a it, it sucks, it's not a good thing. But I think networking is just really meeting people, making friends, asking them what they're doing, telling them what you're doing. So I would volunteer at different um, hospital sites or uh, farmer's markets, but then also talk to my professors and things like that and about what they're doing and if they need help with things. So it was a lot of just, a lot of volunteer work, which eventually turns into paid work, because uh, I always say that. I know that we're, we're expected to do a lot of volunteer stuff, mm-hmm. but eventually it turns into paid work uh, and just talking to people. That's really kind of what set me up for a decent resume when I was applying for my internship and for the master's program.
1: Yeah, because I do feel like a lot of people think networking is just a super rigid professional, like, okay, it has to be, networking has to be- follow these specific steps but really it can just be as simple as like what you said asking your professor, professor a question or just getting involved with volunteering because those volunteering experiences get you to what you just said those paid experiences and could you go a little more in depth about um, did you do any paid experiences beforehand that kind of I mean of course helped with funding your master's program
0: or things like that? Well so I had a career in ad sales. So I had money saved up. I always will tell people that like I saved up money because it is an expensive thing to go into this. Um, and I was able to fund myself in that way. And then I literally was babysitting while I was in grad school. I had like two babysitting jobs. I was in my late twenties. I babysat till I was 30 years old (laughs) because it, it helps pay my rent. So -hmm. that kind of thing. And then also, like I said, I started with unpaid stuff, but eventually I started applying for paid, there's like paid internships out there. For instance, I think I worked with, in New York City, we have something called Stellar Farmers Market, which is the New York City Department of Health goes into farmers markets in lower income areas and they do nutrition education and they give out health, they call them health bucks, which is, um, partly snap, uh, for, so anyway, they, ha- they hire interns and I think they pay them, whatever it is like 15 or 20 bucks an hour. It's probably more now because minimum wage is more, but, uh, things like that, I would do, I would apply for those things. And then I also remember my sports nutrition professor, I was, I became friendly with her cause I wanted to go into sports nutrition and I was just telling her how I was babysitting and how I was doing all these things. And she asked me if. I wanted to help her with her private practice just kind of like be her assistant and I said yeah of course so and she ended up paying me so things like that I did like a bunch of small odd jobs which it, it helps a little with the debt and the the paying for Grad school.
1: Mm -hmm, Yeah. And with the kind of reaching out and asking, um, you know, professors and stuff, hey, can I help you with anything or can I help assist you? Was, did you have any, I mean, a lot of RD2Bs have imposter syndrome and a lot of RDs have imposter syndrome. When you're reaching out to professors or asking them to help you, did you have a part of you that was like, oh, should I ask if I should get paid? Like, how did that process go to making sure that you did get paid for that work that you did for that professor?
0: Yeah, for Um, sure. I, I think I think I had imposter syndrome up until I got into the DI because like I said I was always worried about just the science stuff and am I doing the right thing am I going to get into the DI so there's that and I also it wasn't until after I graduated and I got into my career that I saw my first career as actually a benefit I up until that time I thought that I had wasted my time I had wasted 5 years of my life this was a waste what am I doing so um but I did have a corporate background, I know how to write emails, I know how to be professional, of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And we're not really taught a lot about um, talking about money and things like that. But mm-hmm. I, you know, had to pay rent. <laughs> so I think that there's, I think at first, it is still, you're worried about asking is this a paid job but you just kind of have to do it a few times and Mm -hmm. i think that i have an assistant now who she's amazing she's incredible and she's a master's student and she just got asked to be a ta for a class and i said to her they're gonna pay you right and she said i don't know i didn't ask i was like ask (laughs) no one is gonna be mad at you for asking if you're getting paid to do a job you should get paid to do a job so i think it's just you just kind of have to have confidence in yourself to just ask the question
1: yeah because also like like you, what you said volunteering a lot is important but also something has to pay the bills and volunteering does not pay those bills and um one thing that you did as a registered dietitian once you finished all your schooling was you became a media spokesperson and so did your uh, like background in marketing in ads and anything did that help you go into that direction as a media spokesperson or did anything else attribute to that
0: so for me, I was very lucky that I have always been a good writer. And when I was in grad school, I started a blog just because it was a hobby. I felt like I, one of the things I, I didn't really realize that the nutrition field is so medically based like a medical nutrition therapy and the grad school I went to was not very focused on that anyway I went to a Teachers College Columbia University and they focus on nutrition education but we still have to take MNT so I felt like I was getting a little bit away from the food aspect that I loved and I started a blog and I started writing and even in my papers that I would write for class people would My professors would say, you're a good writer, Um, and I was luckily had a class on writing at Teachers College where we had a writer who was a dietitian come in and teach us about pitching articles, freelance articles, and I, when I ended, when I was done with my DI, I actually took, my first job was in food service, which I really liked because I liked food, but I was still pitching articles and things like that on the side, And, and I started getting some pitches accepted and being able to write for major publications like Eating Well and Women's Running and eventually Runner's World. And that is kind of what propelled me into the spokesperson world, because once you have some credentials behind you and your name has been in national publications and you've been on TV and things like that, then some of these brands want to work with you to help them promote, for instance, like I just worked with California almonds, promote almonds, things like that. Mm -hmm. And some dietitians are not, don't want to promote a product. Um, but I, if it's something I'm eating, I'm okay with promoting it.
1: Mm -hmm, Yeah. And when it comes to getting your foot in the door with like, you know, media promotion, getting that pitch, uh, say that an RD to be doesn't have, you know, a structured class where they have that, Hey, this is how you pitch an article these are the steps to follow. Do you have any advice or experiences that you think RD2Bs could do to help them practice or hone in their writing skills or their pitching skills if they really want to put themselves out there?
0: Yeah, uh, there is. it's so different now because I graduated in 2015 and things have changed so much in the past seven years in terms of media because even then Instagram was just small and blogging was what people did. And now you can go on Instagram and you can write a whole book in your captions and you can do TikTok, and you can do all of these things. So I think if you really like writing, then you should practice writing. You should create yourself a blog or write long captions on Instagram or um, I know Food and Nutrition magazine that's that's owned by the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. They have a blog that they used to call Stone Soup. I think they still call it Stone Soup, where they let dietitians and dietetic interns write for them, and they'll have an editor edit your work. And that's like a really good place to get some experience and kind of get some practice with there, with that. And then as far as pitching goes, to to be honest, you can literally Google how to do this stuff. Like, how do you put together a pitch? How do you find the right context, that kind of stuff. But I would say like practice first with that before you decide to pitch major publications. And then you don't have to write. A, a lot of people, I take dietetic interns and they'll say, I don't like writing. And I'm like, you don't have to write that. You mm-hmm. could do other things. You can do video, you could do podcasting. There's so many media forms now. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you wanna go into that creative aspect, just go ahead and do it. There's a lot of people out there doing it already, but that doesn't mean you can't do it too.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think what a beautiful thing that the dietetic industry has is you can be a creative, you can have a strong writing skill, or you can be completely scientist based, or you can have them all together into one thing. And I think that's what's really great about um, the profession. And also I think why a lot of there are a lot of private practices because you have a lot of dietitians that want either one or two different things like the creative or the science or you know one that wants all three and so with your specific business what made you and you did mention your father had a great influence on you starting your own business but did you have any other motivations or reasons for starting your own like things that attribute it to build the business that you have now
0: Yeah, it was mostly that I saw my dad was able to, when I was a kid, he would be able to come to my birthday parties because he made his own schedule, things like that. He could, you know, we could go on vacations whenever because, like I said, he made his own schedule and um, there's, like I said before, I don't have to follow the rules of the nine to five, I... Told you guys, I just came from working out, and it's two (laughs) o'clock in the afternoon. Um, I I, those kinds of things appeal to me, and then I also I actually just had a baby like seven months ago. So congratulations! Oh, thank you. But the part of the whole thing was like building up to this. I can kind of make my own schedule and work what days I want to work and do some childcare if I want. So it's just basically the flexibility of it all. But that's not to say that it's not hard because if you don't work, you don't make money. And so there are like ups and downs and you have to balance it all out. And that has to be right for you. Cause some people like to know they're getting paid X amount every two weeks.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And with owning a business, there's a lot more flexibility, unpredictability, and you really do have to put in the work in the hours that you do. Like no matter what hours you do plan in your business, you still have to work in those hours that you put. And so you first had one business called nutrition all Natalie. And with that one, what was kind of, I guess, your mission statement of that business?
0: Yeah. So that actually started as my blog in in grad school where I just, like I said, I wanted to start a blog. I wanted to just put my recipes out there because people, it was just friends and family would say, oh, you create this fun stuff. You should put it on a blog. So I, I did. I came up with this cute name and then I just kept it. And as everything grew, I was like, okay, I guess this is my, <laughs> this is my business. It was never really a huge thought of uh, what am I doing here? But I started with just no, no niche, no nothing, just healthy recipes, nutrition tips, like a lot of people do. And I mean, that, like I said, back in when i started that maybe it was 2013 it was easier to do that back then because there was less people doing everything but now you have to be very niche down you have to pick something that's going to be your focus and i have been a vegetarian for 10 plus years and turned out when i started talking to people who were coming to my website and finding me on social media they were coming to me because i did vegetarian and vegan type of stuff and i've always been focused in sports nutrition but there's a lot of a lot of people who combine kind of the vegan and vegetarian and sports nutrition so when i decided to actually rebrand and make everything more niche down and more just targeted towards people i decided to um call it green leads which i part of that is also uh, like a behind the scenes thing i had to trademark something so you have to come up with like a creative name that no one else is using Mm -hmm. um so and now no one else can use it because (laughs) i trademarked it um but yeah that was why i i switched over just because it's very targeted and now that'll be my brand and that's what i've been doing all along but uh it makes more sense now
1: Mm -hmm. yeah for sure and especially in today's day and age I mean, it's a beautiful thing with having the internet and everything out there, but that means that you have a massive influx of a lot of people doing the same thing, or a lot of people doing a generalized thing that's around the same idea. And so with um, Nutritional and Natalie, before you transitioned to Greenleats, was there anything you learned with your first business that you took with you when transitioning
0: to Greenleats? Yeah. I mean, so much, so, so much. I started that this is kind of behind the scene technical web stuff, but I've done all the web stuff on my website myself up until I had the website redone. I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but before that I built the website myself, I did the URL, I did the domains, I did all the photography, I did everything. And I started it on with, for people who aren't like, don't know about the behind the stuff, behind the scenes, um, basically, like a free website, there was no hosting or anything. And then I switched over to a hosted site. And I learned about SEO, which is search engine optimization. And I, I took a photography class and I learned about food photography. I did so much over the course of all these years to make the website something that people could find and could use and then I eventually started social media, which is a whole nother beast. And I still feel like I'm not that great at, and then I started a podcast. So just all of these things throughout all uh, the transition, just built it up to be something that is now a business rather than just a hobby.
1: Oh, definitely. And you did talk about being a national spokesperson as well. And so when you had your business and you were building your first business, Nutrition All on Natalie, and you were building it, how did you go about publicizing it? And then you did mention SEOs and kind of understanding the back end of how a website works and kind of getting it out there. But how were you able to grow it to such a nationally, I mean, kind of a nationally recognized and um, known business?
0: At first I just sent an email to my friends and family saying, Hey, I started a website. You should check it out. That was just like the baseline. But after that, when I started getting into the media world, there's something called HARO and it's H A R O. And it stands for help a reporter out. And it's something that I totally recommend any dietitian or dietetic intern or master student sign up for if they want to do media stuff. And what you can do is, You sign up for these listservs and you get two or three emails a day and it's reporters sending out stories that they want to have sources for. And they want expert sources like dietitians to be quoted in these stories. So it may be something like well and good and the story is the best foods for your skin or something. And anyone could be on these listservs as long as they meet these credentials. And they'll say in there, we wanna quote a registered dietitian about best foods for your skin. And I would respond to those and start to get my name in these articles, like women's health, well, and good, all these different publications. And every time you do that, you can also include a link to your website. Mm -hmm. So, and I know people who don't have websites now will even include links to their Instagram or, uh, links to their books, things like that. So I think that's a really good way to get your name out there. And I've Mm -hmm. had, I actually don't do much private practice and, but I've had people come to me and want me to counsel them and I end up referring them to someone else. But that's a really good option for people who do have a private practice to get their name out there.
1: Gotcha. And so for nutrition students who say maybe don't have that credential that uh, Haro is looking or is it Haro or Haro?
0: um i don't know i think they call it harrow (laughs) okay yeah
1: and so with um harrow say that they don't have like a credential yet that allows them to contribute to harrow to get themselves out there are there any things that an RD to be could do if they don't have that credential yet to get themselves out there
0: i think one of the things you could do is uh, you can intern with a dietitian who does media type of stuff i've taken on dietetic interns i know it's a little different based on the programs because like i said where i went to school i take on interns from teachers college they do their internship very differently than for instance i know nyu i know new york city places because that's where i live but nyu is clinical you'll spend the full 10 12 months in the hospital i think even your community somehow is in that hospital I don't really know how it works, but teachers college, they rotate you through sites like every five to six weeks and you could spend five to six weeks with a media dietitian. And I've had students who want to learn about this and I help, they help me, uh, do harrow requests or eventually after you do enough of those, the reporters will come back straight to you as a dietitian. So they'll just email me and ask for a quote and I'll ha- have them help me. Cause there is, there's a, a good and a and a bad way to answer a quote request like you have to be thorough you have to give you don't want to be too scientific so I think you kind of have to learn a little bit about that which just comes with trial and error but you can work with dietitians who do that and kind of see the behind the scenes thing and then eventually when you become a dietitian they know you they may uh, pass along a reporter to you that kind of thing so it's kind of another another networking thing you can do there too awesome
1: and so, uh, green Greenleats. its priority is would you say vegetarian and like vegan sports nutrition yep and so with that kind of becoming a sports dietitian was there anything unexpected you learned either uh owning green Leeds or as a sports dietitian that you did not anticipate beforehand
0: that is a very good question and i'm thinking is there anything unexpected um i don't know if it was unexpected just that sports nutrition is still not that well-known among people in terms of, I think like, for instance, if you talk to a D1 college athlete, they know about pre-workout fuel, post-workout, blah, blah, blah. But I always say that I kind of work with the everyday athlete, which are people that run marathons or do triathlons, but don't do it competitively. And I think those people are still struggling in terms of, how sports nutrition is different than regular nutrition, which I actually just wrote a cookbook, which is exciting. And it's it's vegan and vegetarian recipes for athletes, which awesome. will be out in 2023. And that was like the main premise of it is that every chapter, it tells you like when you should eat this food. It'll have like a pre-workout chapter a during workout chapter and the whole uh, introduction of the book goes through like how sports nutrition is different than regular nutrition. Like you have to think about sugar in a different way and sodium in a different way. And I think that that's kind of, um, still not well-known, which is good. Cause I still have a job then <laughs>
1: <laughs> got that job security for sure. Yeah. And also like nutrition affects each person differently, like period. But then when you add sports or athletics into it, each person's body reacts to sports and athletics differently. So you have bodies reacting to different things at all different angles, and you really have to adapt to different, you know, different clients, different people, different audiences. And actually like kind of going into the adaptability aspect, was there any challenges you had with clients or with situations in sports nutrition that you kind of either learned from, or you had to overcome just because of that adaptability and like what you said, unfamiliarity in sports nutrition.
0: I think that whenever you work with clients, you always have to adapt. Mm-hmm. And that's um, for any dietitian in any field, because you know what the science is and you know what the right recommendations are. But then as soon as you work with a client, they will tell you, well, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> or like, that's not going to work for me. So then you have to really be thinking on your feet. Uh, and part of it is like, you're, kind of a therapist in some ways. Sometimes it'll be emotional eating or different things that they're going to do, or you're trying to find time for them to cook when they have, you know, a 10 hour day and kids at home. So I think you always kind of have to adapt, which is, um, yeah, something that any dietitian working with any client will have to figure out. So, um, that's a kind of like, it depends type of answer. Yeah, but.
1: definitely. And it's not just, it's not just exclusive for a sports dietitian. Like it can literally be across any field of dietetics. And so the last question that we would want to get into is kind of geared towards RD2Bs. And if there was anything you wish either you knew as an rt to b going into the dietetics field that you wish you knew, or just a little tidbit of advice that you would want RD2Bs to know.
0: I think the main thing I always say is that what you did in the past is not wasted time. Like I said before, I think that I thought I wasted five years of my life and I know not everyone is a career changer, but it is a field where there's a lot of career changers. So utilize what you did and what you know to make a new career path and then I think what you guys are doing is awesome because one of the things I always said in my, when I was in my dietetic internship, I was 30 years old. So I was already older and I knew what, that I did not want the traditional career path, but people will tell you, well, you should go become a clinical dietitian and you have to do this. And I, I said in the most polite way, like maybe you have to do that, but I don't, (laughs) um, I'm not doing that. So if you don't want to be a clinical dietitian or you don't want to do something, there are other avenues out there now and it's definitely it's changed traumatic or dramatically in seven years which is amazing like I think it's great that there's so many more opportunities for people but know that you don't have to do the traditional thing you can pave your own way
1: and that's a beautiful thing that I think all RD2Bs should know just because like what you said, some are second career changers, some are fresh out of high school. You have some where this is like their third career or this is them just trying to try things out or change their hobby into a profession. And so thank you so much for uh, being here and just sharing a great little compact just version of your journey with sports nutrition and the advice that you gave to RD2Bs. To and so just thank you so much.
0: Oh, thank you for having me.